so many people that I've been ministering to recently, and of course, out of the overflow of my own life, I've been asking the question, what is God's purpose for me? What is God's plan? How can I be pleasing to Him? In what ways can I live out what Scripture says is to be my duty, my niche, my place, my purpose, His plan? And you know in the first two parts, if you've been with us, that I've been talking about a number of passages from both the Old and New Testament. You remember that we talked from the law, we talked from the writings, we talked from the Psalms, and we talked from the prophets out of the Old Testament in a myriad of ways that they communicated to us what God's purpose is. You remember we said that in Genesis chapter 1, that we are created in the image and likeness of God, and we're to bear that image. We are to resemble that likeness. That's God's purpose for us. You remember I said to you also that from Exodus 33 and 34, that Moses says, Lord, if you don't go with us, which is another way of saying, if we don't know you intimately, if you don't guide us, if you don't lead us, we don't want to go forward from this place. You remember also that I said from Psalm 42.1, that the Bible tells us, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. That's another way of saying knowing God, knowing Christ, loving God, loving Christ, obeying God, defending God, believing God, doing all of the things for which you and I have been created in and for that very purpose, knowing Him, loving Him, obeying Him, seeking Him. Just like that deer pants for that water brook, so our soul is to pant for God. Psalm 73, remember I said that that passage states, Whom have I in heaven but you, and upon earth I desire nothing. Even that passage that we read, that Bob Houghton read this morning from Psalm 84, has that similar idea of pursuing God, knowing God, loving God, cherishing God, seeking God. This is, this is what we are to do. Isaiah 55 His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Therefore, as those who have thoughts that are far afield from God, we ought to seek His thoughts and not our own. We ought to have transcendent thoughts about life, which are His thoughts, His plan, His purposes. You remember we even went into the New Testament and we talked both from the Gospels and then from the history book of the church, the book of Acts, and then the Pauline epistles, and then the general epistles, and even from the book of Revelation, we saw time and time and time again, what is God's purpose for our lives? And are we living in and through and because of that purpose? And that really took up two whole messages. Now, if you were listening carefully, and I know all of you were, not sleeping at all, (laughs) taking voracious notes, hanging on every word, you probably came away, or at least I did, from my own teaching, a bit disappointed. And it was because of this. Where's the how-to? What are the implications of this? Lance, you've told us repeatedly from all of these passages, what is God's purpose for our lives? And are we living in it? But you haven't told us how. 
how? How am I to do this? What are the steps? What are the guidelines? How am I to do this for God's glory? I want to do this. I long to do this. All of those passages that you read resonated in my heart for the opportunity and with the zeal to do those very things that are outlined in these scriptures. But how do I do them? How can I pursue Christ with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? Well, that's what I want to present in this third and final message to you this morning. And really, I want us to look at five ways, five ways that we can pursue Christ, five very practical ways that will give us the implications of what it means to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And I want to do that exclusively from our New Testament because as New Covenant believers, I want us to feel the full effect of how to pursue Christ in these five critical ways. And here's the first one. Pursue Christ. All of these, will, all of these ways will be the same in that sense. Pursue Christ. Pursue God. Know God. Live for God. Love God in these five ways. And the first one is this. Pursue Christ for daily struggle. Pursue Christ for daily struggle. You say, where, where might you go? Well, remember we looked at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to go back there. Matthew chapter 6. You remember I read to you that verse that is so memorable to all of us. It may have even been something that you memorized either as a young person if you grew up in the church or maybe something that you've heard through an FOF class or, or in Bible study or even in preaching. And it is that verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are the all things that will be added to us? Well, back up. Look at verse 24, for example. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be what? Anxious, worried about your life. You say, that's hard not to do because we're talking about my life. We're talking about my desires. We're talking about my needs. We're talking about those things that I think about a great deal because I'm the one living my life. No one else is living my life. No one else may particularly care about what my life is all about and what my needs are, but I am. How can I do this? How is it possible not to be worried about your life? This is what the Bible says, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? 
And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? That is to say, if you add worry to your life, you will not add one smidgen of help to yourself. You will gain no advantage whatsoever. Which is to say that worry is a what? It's a sin. It's a sin. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then a second time saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, the pagans, the unbelievers. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, food, drink, shelter, clothing. But here's the admonition. Here's top priority. Number one. Certainly not worrying about it. And in place of worry, here's what you're supposed to do. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then verse 34. So do not worry about when? Tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why? Why worry? Why worry? Well, because it's my life. Because I'm concerned about tomorrow. Because I don't know what will happen tomorrow. I don't know where I'll live. I don't know what I'll do. I don't know how I will survive. I was on this trip to Chicago... And I got a call from my wife, and she said, well, we've had a problem here at the house. I said, what's that? The hot water pipe is apparently broken somewhere underneath the slab of the house, and we got a visit from the water folks saying, your bill is through the roof. There's water all over the place. We need to find it. I'm not worried. I'm not concerned about that. It's just water. Just a house. Does it not say here in Matthew 6 that God will be concerned about your life so that you don't have to? I transfer in this worrisome life all of those things onto Him because He cares for me. 1 Peter 3, 7, cast all of your cares upon Him for He cares for you. Don't worry about it. In fact, I cannot worry about Monday the 11th, because today has enough trouble of its own. Now, that, that doesn't mean that you're fatalistic. That doesn't mean that you throw, throw all caution to the wind. That doesn't mean that you're not concerned about this or that, but to allow that concern to go into an area of, of sinful anxiousness or worry is a sin against God, and we are commanded not to do that. And so, therefore, we are to concentrate not on tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself, but we are to concentrate on today because 
Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Each day, he says, has enough trouble of its own. So I need to be concerned about today. So I need to pursue Jesus Christ with all my heart for daily struggle or daily sustenance. Whatever S you want to use there. Pursue Christ for daily sustenance. Daily struggle. You want to know practically? Here's the how-to to pursue Jesus Christ, to long for Him, to enjoy Him, to obey Him, to love Him. You are not to worry about tomorrow. It's got enough trouble of its own. You are to be concerned about today. Today will be enough of a challenge. You and I must pursue Christ for daily struggle. Why heap upon yourself greater amounts of concern for tomorrow when it hasn't even arrived. The Lord Jesus could come back today. Would that not be a wonderful thing? You say, yes, but if He doesn't, I've got that bill that's due tomorrow. I have to fix the water break. I have to do this. I have to go. I have to see. I have to pursue. I have to... Yes, 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 I know, I know, I know. And it's off to work I go. I know. But what does this passage say practically to us? Seek first His kingdom and His what? His righteousness. Right living, right acting, right doing, right responding. And here's a way in the immediate context for right responding to what He's commanded us to do, and that is not to worry. Do not worry. It's a sin. The day has enough struggle of its own, and I must pursue Christ for daily sustenance, right? Daily struggle. He says, come to me. Lay your load upon me. I can handle it. I'm God. I care for you. I love you. I will take care of you. Pursue Christ for the daily struggles of life. Number two. Number two, for this, I want you to go over to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1. You remember this is another passage that we talked about last time, Mark chapter 1. And do you remember in Mark chapter 1, the baptism scene of Jesus? And do you remember when he was baptized... Verse 9, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You remember I said, if you want to be like Christ, then you want to seek to be pleasing to God in all of your ways, just as Christ was pleasing to God in whom I am well pleased. You know that this baptism account is immediately preceded. Look in your Bibles at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. You say, well, he came onto the public scene, did Jesus, and he was baptized, and he was ready to go on his public ministry. He was being announced to the world. Yes, but there was a preparation for that, was there not? And in Luke chapter 4, here is that preparation. Luke 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, which means completely controlled by the Spirit, returned from the Jordan 
and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and all its glory, for it has been handed over to me. Remember, it was said of the devil in the New Testament that he's the God of this world. And he says, And I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Not Satan, not the devil, not the prince of the power of the air, not the God of this world. You shall worship the Lord your God, Yahweh God, and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You say, How is this practically helpful for me? Well, If Matthew 6 says, pursue Christ for daily struggle, daily sustenance, this is pursue Christ with daily Scripture. Daily Scripture. We we not only have to pursue Christ for the daily struggles of life, today having the sufficient trouble in and of itself where we must pursue Christ. We have to pursue Christ for the daily struggle of life, for the daily fight. And we also have to pursue Christ with daily Scripture. That's another way of saying, I can't live my life without the Word of God in my mind, in my heart. Which means that even if you don't read the Word of God every single day, you better know what the Word of God says, which probably means you should read the Word of God every day, right? Because even if you're not physically reading words off the page with your own eyeballs each and every day of your life, you better know what is in Scripture so that when Satan comes with his tempting wiles, you can be like the Lord Jesus Christ so that when you are tested, you can say, Be gone, Satan, for Scripture says, You've twisted it this way, but I'm telling you it says something entirely different. Right? You and I should be pursuing Christ with daily Scripture under the power of and control of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I said to you that the first verse of chapter 4 says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 13. When the devil had finished every temptation, notice that, every temptation, the ultimate fullness of temptation. And do you know that Jesus endured everything in those temptations? Why? Because he never yielded to it which means that he experienced the full brunt of temptation. You and I don't experience the full brunt of temptation. We're tested a little bit and we what? Fail. It's like the old man who said, I can resist anything except temptation, of course. We, We peter out so quickly in the temptation game because we cannot withstand it. 
usually for two reasons. We are not seeking to be under the Spirit's total control, and we aren't availing ourselves of Scripture as we ought. And, and that is a practical way, my friends, to pursue Christ as we've been talking about in this little mini-series. Pursue Christ for daily sustenance, daily struggle, and pursue Christ with daily Scripture. That's what Christ did in that tempting time. Every time Satan said, I will do this, I've been handed this, I've been given this, and I will give it to you if you worship me, Christ responded with what? Scripture. And I love verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread through all the surrounding district. He was controlled by the Spirit as He entered the wilderness. In, in, in fact, in another gospel it says, He was impelled by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. It was the Spirit's plan. And He was controlled by the Spirit and even through the entire temptation. And by the way, it was without food. It was without what we would consider our normal energy, right? How many times are you facing temptation and you're battling Satan and the evil attempts of this world and you're battling your own heart and you say something like this, oh, I got to have some food. I cannot make this without the food. Try it. Try it sometime. Try this biblical concept, if not commanded, at least alluded to time and again, fasting. Trusting God, putting your, your, your full attention to God, the spiritual life, the spiritual domain. Fast a little bit from all of the temptations of the world, including this, this idea at times that I am not going to be able to do it unless I have this self-consumptive attitude. Try it. Trust God. You're going through a trial right now? Going through a difficult time? Do what you must in order to see daily Scripture at your beck and call so that you might be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. And do it in such a way that your mind and your heart is totally focused on the task at hand. And when Satan comes, you might surprise yourself and those around you at how adept you are at saying no to sin. Because your focus is there. And it's because you are pursuing Jesus Christ with daily Scripture. Here's the third. Go into your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Remember the announcement by Jesus about the Apostle Paul, Saul Paul. In Acts chapter 9, you remember he was slammed down on the Damascus road. And this is what verse 15 says from the lips of Jesus about Saul Paul and what his life is going to be like. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, and that's Ananias about Paul, go for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Pursue Christ through suffering. 
That's your third practical way to pursue Jesus Christ, to know the purpose of God and whether or not you're living in it. You, you pursue Christ with and for that daily struggle, that sustenance that you need, right, that He's promised He'll supply, and then you pursue Christ with daily Scripture, and you pursue Christ through suffering. Why do you say through suffering, Lance? Why the, the, the preposition? Why, why is it through suffering? Because it is a guilt-edge guarantee that in the Christian life, you will suffer. You will suffer. Doesn't Paul tell Timothy that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. It's going to come. It's in varying degrees. I was just reading the other day about several Christians around the world who are being martyred for their faith. Now, that hasn't hit us, not yet at least, but I can see the encroaching issues. I can see the encroaching nature of the restrictions on Christians, and it could come to a place where you and I might, in this generation or the next, be restricted even in the sense of our corporate, collective, public worship. It could happen. It's happening in Canada. Homosexuality is considered now hate speech there. And if a preacher gets up in a pulpit and says homosexuality is a sin, that's considered hate speech. It's against the law. It could be coming south at any point. It's a strong lobby for such things. You and I may not be suffering to that degree, or it may come at some point in your or my lifetime, but what about lesser degrees of suffering? Just the daily challenges of life. The pain of and discouragement for loss. The pain of the physical body. The strains and challenges and vicissitudes of life. They're here. They're upon us. They may be in varying degrees lesser or greater to any one of you as an individual as compared with the other, but it's here. All of us are presently experiencing some form of pain or suffering or loss or eventual persecution. Wherever we are on the spectrum, how would you like as a banner title above your head for all other Christians to see, this is my chosen instrument. You say, I like that part. Yes, I'm the Lord's chosen instrument. I'd like to have that banner lifted high above my name. For He is a chosen instrument of mine to have ministry, right? Before kings, before the Gentiles, before the Jews. Yes, yes, I like that platform. I like the wideness of it. I like the extent of it. I like the impact of it. And I will also show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Now, I didn't bargain for that one. I didn't sign up for that one. I want to be as a Christian receiving all the goodies, all the booty. Now you're starting to meddle. Now you're starting to bring on the pain and the suffering and the loss and the distraction and the despair and the discouragement about life. And that's the part I don't like. But it is through the portal of suffering that I am remade into the very image of Jesus Christ. Because He suffered. And when He suffered, He uttered how many threats? No threats. 
And he kept on entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. That's 1 Peter 2. This is Paul. You want to look at how Paul experienced this kind of suffering as a chosen instrument in the hands of God? Look in your Bibles at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You want to see the, the way he suffered? This may not be your suffering or mine, but it could be. And the principles are all the same anyway, nonetheless. Look at chapter 11 and notice what he says. Verse 23. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, those things that happen to, to me physically, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? I'd say, if you ask me, that is a biographical statement as a living illustration of the reality of the Apostle Paul fulfilling the very word of Jesus, and I'm going to have to show him how much suffering he's going to do for my sake. Now you say, well, was it the Lord just sort of paying him back because Paul was a Christian killer? No, not particularly. Because the Lord doesn't act that way for us. Okay, because this is what you were as a non-Christian, now I've got to pay you back for all those things that you did against me. No, that was all taken up where? On the cross. That was taken up at the cross. So then, if that's what's taken up at the cross, why then do I suffer? Uh, isn't this the notion of so many Christians? Well, look, if everything was taken up at the cross, which is a grand thing, a great thing, a marvelous thing, the very thing that I wanted, my sins forgiven, all those bad things that I did now forgiven and taken up by Jesus on the cross through His own uh, sinful sacrifice not his sins, but mine. He bore it for me. Now I should have Mr. Wonderful Life. Do you, do you understand how short shrift we would be if all we had was the goodies? We would become, would we not, like those children of Israel, even when we had the manna, even when we had the quail, even when we had all of our needs met, even when we had that food and that shelter and that clothing, would we be any closer, do you think, because of our remaining sinfulness of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? I think that one of the plans and the ultimate wisdom of God is to give us enough suffering so that we are utterly and totally dependent upon Him. And that he's on a relentless pursuit. He's on a never-ending path to make you and me more like Jesus Christ. Bearing his image, who is the very image of God. So that even through suffering, 
my sanctification is bringing me closer and closer and closer to being conformed to the image of God's own Son. And in fact, Paul understood that because look at verse 30 of 2 Corinthians 11. If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. I'm going to boast as to what pertains of my weakness. And look at chapter 12, and he will expand upon this. And here's what he says. I I asked the Lord to take away this thorn in the flesh. And the Lord said no. And he says, verse 7, chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from what? Exalting myself. Oh, I see. Part of the plan for suffering is designed so that as I am this Christian, grandly saved by Jesus Christ and headed to heaven so that I will not, because of such things, get the big head to keep me from exalting myself. And he says, verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in what? In weakness. Okay, so so if I'm going to have this weakness, here's what I'm going to boast about this weakness, that the Lord's grace is sufficient. This is how you pursue Christ, my friends. You pursue Christ through suffering because it is through the suffering and through the weaknesses of my life that I am held in check from exalting myself and I'm boasting not in myself but in Christ. That's how you pursue Christ. That's one of these critical ways that you pursue Christ. Therefore, when you are hit with opposition... Challenges, struggles, when, when you are disappointed, discouraged, despairing about what's happening to you, Lord, how come you're not coming through for me? I desperately want this. I want to be in a place where I am seen as successful and victorious. I want to be the kind of person that people will see as an example for others to follow. My friends, if that's true, if that's your desire, it will be through, in part, suffering so that you will not exalt yourself, but you will exalt the Lord Jesus Christ because even through His suffering, He entrusted Himself to God who judges righteously. That's how you pursue Christ. No longer then must you, should you, look at suffering as always and forever a bad thing because it's not always and forever a bad thing doesn't mean that when you're in it, you're saying, bring it on. More. Give me more of this. I love it. No, it's hard. It's difficult. If it were easy, would it be sanctifying you? No. If you were not as dependent, if you were as not wholly leaning on Jesus' name, would you be growing through the suffering? No. Not as much. 
Now, it's not always true that grace grows best in winter. That's not always the case. But for God's purposes and for His sovereign design and for what He's choosing to do out of His infinite mind as to what is best for you, He will bring suffering in your life so that you will not boast in yourself. You will not exalt yourself, but you will boast through your weakness in the power of God because He's sustaining you in your life for the purposes for which He's designed you to live, and that is at times through suffering. Because as I said to you last time, Suffering is the prelude to glory. Suffering is the prelude to glory. All right, so number one, we pursue Christ for daily sustenance or struggle, right? Matthew chapter 6. Number two, we pursue Christ with daily Scripture for all the temptations of life. And we pursue Christ through suffering for all the trials and for all the tests that we undergo. And fourthly, We pursue Christ because of our daily sojourn. Because of our daily sojourn. And that's a big way, and I had to come up with a fourth S, sojourn, that's what it is, to say the following, I live not by sight, but by faith. Look at Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. We haven't said much about this in this three-part series, and this is the time where we would and should and could emphasize it in a major way, and that is faith. Faith. How do you pursue Christ? You pursue Christ by faith. We don't talk, a much, we don't talk as much about faith as we should. Believing God, trusting God, leaning upon God, not leaning on your own understanding, forsaking your own understanding, pursuing Christ by faith. Notice what Galatians 2.20 says. I, Paul speaking, have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, that means the life that I live as a human being, I live how? By faith. In the object of my faith. Not faith in my faith, but faith in the right object. And what is that faith? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Do we not pursue Christ in this Christian life by faith? Everyone would say, of course we do. That's no new teaching. That's no new revelation. That's no new idea. I could stand up here and say that. Yes, I know. But are we actually living it out? Is that what we're doing? Are we living by faith in this daily sojourn? Think about all of the ways that the daily battle for sustenance, the daily battle in our struggle for this food, clothing, and shelter is impacted by our need for faith. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, right? Evil is around us everywhere, and it is tempting us and testing us to move away from the life of faith into the life of trying to live by our own resources and for our own sake. I must do this. 
I must do that. Instead, the Christian life can be summed up like Galatians 2.20. I live by faith in the Son of God because He loved me and He gave Himself up for me. What a, what a truth about the Christian life. I mean, I asked myself this morning, are you living by faith? Not faith in yourself, not faith in your circumstances, not faith that you'll be able to get out of the jam just in the nick of time, but faith in Christ because He loved me and He gave Himself up for me so that in this daily sojourn we call the Christian life, I am living it not of my own self and for my own part, but I'm living it in the confident assurance that Jesus Christ is leading me all the way. All the way. Not part of the way. Not some of the way. All the way. He will lead me from here to there. He'll lead me perfectly. He'll lead me as only He can do it. He'll lead me through trusting Him by faith in such a way that I can work on not worrying about that food, shelter, and clothing. So that I'm not worried about that medical report. So that I'm not worried about this relationship. I'm not worried about those things because I don't live by sight. I live by faith. Pursue Christ, my friends, with this intent conception and reality that we live by faith. It'll make your sojourn that much more joyous. It'll make your Christian life that much more marvelous as you see the person of Jesus Christ leading you onward by faith. Fifth and finally. Fifth and finally. If you were to pin me down and say, how practical can we get? I might think of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. If it's practically pursuing Christ for or in our daily struggle, for daily sustenance, and if it's pursuing Christ with daily Scripture, pursue Christ through daily suffering, and if it's pursuing Christ because of our daily sojourn, right? Then it's also pursue Christ in daily serving. Pursue Christ in daily serving. Which means that I get myself off of myself. I get myself off of thinking about myself, of, of my own self-consumption, of my own self-thoughts, of my own self-living, my own self-infatuation. I'm daily serving others. 1 John chapter 3. Notice what it says. Verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. You ever wondered, I mean, what, what was the issue with that offering? that Cain brought, that God didn't accept. Here's a divine commentary on it. It was evil. Whatever it was, it was evil. And whatever his brother's was, was righteous. Verse 13, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. 
We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this. Think of this daily serving idea. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart, his bowels, his his inner being against that brother and his needs, how does the love of God abide in him? You know one of the greatest ways you could pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ is by the daily serving of others. And, and really, it, it closes the loop for us because it takes us all the way back to pursuing Christ in the daily struggle. Because if I'm all about pursuing Christ through daily serving others, then I've got myself off of myself and my own needs, and I've gotten myself in the service of others. And by the way, in the midst of trying to serve others, I'll have my own needs met. Thank you. Because I'm not thinking as much about myself, right? I'm not so focused on how am I going to do this and how's this going to come in for me and how will I receive and what will happen to me and what will be my life and what will be the conclusion for my heart and my desires and my soul. Well, if you are all about pursuing Christ in the daily serving of others because you see those needs and you don't turn your eye away from that and your bowels of compassion are opened up for that brother and you see that need, then you get your focus off of yourself and onto him. And in this marvelous way, God has a way of showing you that all of your needs will be met all the time because you're doing his work in the serving of others. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you more practically in these five ways how critical it is to pursue Jesus Christ and to do it in these ways. And when you do it, you will love God more faithfully and you will love people more eagerly and God will have used you in the very purpose that He's put you on this earth and you'll be living in the reality of it. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank You for our time. Thank you for these precious people. Thank you for the pursuit of Jesus Christ in these critical and evidential and marvelous ways. Critical because you've commanded us to do them in every one of these passages. And you've also allowed us through the daily sustenance and struggle of life, through daily scripture, through the sense of daily suffering. And Lord, even through this very clear and substantive area of pursuing Christ through our daily sojourn by faith and by daily serving others. We know the purpose for our life and we want to walk in it with gusto, with eagerness, with zeal, with fervency for your glory, for your honor, for the good of your people and for the evangelization of the lost as they see the church being the church and doing what the church is called to do. May it be so, and may you be honored. For Jesus' sake, amen.